0: This is Ashley Kalsh and you're listening to Inner Momalog, episode 2. You are listening to Inner Momalog, a podcast for women who want to learn how to rethink being single, dating, making money, parenting and sex, all the things in a world that tells you you're doing it wrong. I'm going to teach you everything you need to know. In mother words, it's not you, it's a deeply conditioned brain. Hey mother lovers, welcome back to my Inner Momalog. God, this past few weeks has been one of those past few weeks. If you saw my video on in mother words a few days ago, then you heard me talking about life and stressors. <clears throat> excuse me. In real time. If you haven't, head on over. Head on over to my Substack in mother words where I share all of the things about mentally and emotionally what I was experiencing when I discovered $8,000 had been withdrawn from my bank account after my wallet was stolen. Then video will inform you, also do a conversation that I had with a friend of mine who is one of those positive people who i love to have in my life. And I'm going to talk about some of that today, but more to the point, I'm going to talk about the concrete steps and processes and practices that I apply in these moments of high stress. But, you know, honestly, I just had to bring up in mother words, my substack because it's just like a shameless plug. If you haven't subscribed yet, you got to go. Like, what are you waiting for? (laughs) But for those of you who are new to my orbit, I have been experiencing what we would collectively refer to as it. I am in it. And I have been watching my brain try and analyze, if you will, how to manage and think and process all of it. The Navy SEALs have a saying. It's their training motto. People ask them, why do you train so hard? And the answer that they have is, we train hard because under pressure... You don't rise to the occasion. You sink to your level of training. And the saying actually is we don't rise to the level of our expectations. We fall to the level of our training. It's from a Greek philosopher. And I have been thinking about this quite a bit lately. It's actually something I've talked about for years, but it's been top of mind as I'm training for a marathon. People ask me all the time, why are you running? At 4 p.m. in the month of August in, in Austin, Texas, like, why are you in the sun training like that? And the quote is, why? Now, I wouldn't label myself anywhere near that of a Navy SEAL. Instead, I like to think of myself as a baby SEAL. I'm putting in my miles during the hottest hours of the day, challenging my body to adapt to the heat, the humidity, and the hills in an effort to prepare me in ways physically and mentally for conditions that I just can't predict what that day, what that big day is going to look like, I have no idea, but I want to be prepared as much as possible. So this is a more obvious practice to apply when you have a set out goal to achieve, right? I'm mindful of it when I'm out there running and training. So when the tough gets going, I get tough. My brain is aware and engaged with the concept. But what do we do when life gets hard unexpectedly? when stressors and circumstances are out of your control. I'll tell you what's going to happen. You're going to sink to your level of training. You will react from your habitual way of responding to stress. Do you know what that looks like? And furthermore, how do you get better at choosing your responses in the moment of crisis? Like how does one practice that? How do you prepare yourself to handle life when it's unpredictable? That's what I want to discuss today. I want to give you some tools that in the heat of the moment you can use to move through a problem i'm going to offer another practice that you can use ahead of time to predict worst case scenarios this is called fear setting that will help your brain create strategies in the event that worst comes to fruition which is actually quite rare and as you'll see these worst cases are never as bad as we think Lastly, I'll provide some scientific and holistic steps as prescribed by the Nagoski twins from their book, Burnout. And these are necessary to the human body and brain to remove stress that builds up just from existing. So first things first, you wanna understand how you respond to the unknown stressors. And what I mean is there are stresses in life that we have, but we also know that they have like a concrete outcome. For example, being pregnant this applies to everybody. Because when you know that you're going to be giving birth or your partner is, there are some things that you think about that could be scary, right? Over the next 40 weeks, carrying a child, things could happen. But you have an understanding of what it's going to look like. And as women, we're able to experience going through labor, because we know that within 24 hours, we will be holding our baby in our arms. And if not within 24 hours, doctors will likely intervene and perform what like a C-section. So even though there are some unknowns, we know what the destination is. That simple statement, we know the destination, we know the outcome distinguishes so much for the brain it gives it some ease a willingness to move through everything that may arise because we know at the end we will have this we're willing to do hard things when we know what we will get in return but if we don't know and things seem uncertain or elusive the brain will start to spin it's looking for what could go wrong more specifically it's looking for ways out in mother words The brain wants concrete outcomes and certainty in a world that is not certain. What you wanna do is consider how you react to some of the stressors in your life. When your kids break the rules or get in trouble, do you start yelling? When you're dating someone and they ghost you, do you obsess like with where they are, wondering what you might've done wrong? When you pitch your business idea and someone turns it down, do you resolve to quit? What emotions do you experience? Like, what are you thinking specifically? Those examples are some of today's common occurrences. If we just, if we're being like really honest, right? These things happen to people in the dating world. It's very common to get ghosted. If you have teenagers, you're going to be, you're going to be doing some yelling for sure. And I know how often one might have a business idea. And the minute it's not easy, they're like, I'm out. Then there are other stressors that send us into overwhelm. Like where we feel out of control, that we did not see happening. (laughs) Like walking up to your car being broken into and your wallet is gone. Or then a few days later, even though you canceled those bank cards, the people who took your wallet managed to withdraw $8,000 from four banks in less than two hours. Or you catch your kids drinking and driving, buying drugs in a parking lot with their friends, your partner cheating on you, losing a large account out of nowhere. What happens to you in those moments? How does your nervous system react? What emotions do you feel? What do you start doing? And what are the thoughts you're having? I can personally say from experience and speak to the example of the car being broken into and the $8,000 missing. My brain went into overdrive, causing my nervous system to just flood. I was feeling all the emotions. I remember standing there in like complete confusion, trying to take into account What had happened and what was happening? My brain was assessing very quickly. Purse gone. Call for help. Who do I call? Nine one one. They don't take these calls. Okay, who do you call next? And I was like registering all of these uh, thoughts and trying to fix as quickly as possible um, what was happening. Though I, I just I couldn't. It was so much at one time. Things had been stolen. The car is damaged. And then it hit me. No one is injured. Like within about 15 minutes, nobody is injured. Okay, I can control most of this. And then I was starting to calm down. But in the moment, my body was experiencing a shortage of breath, shaking, the verge of tears, all the slats, as I mentioned, fear, increased heart rate. And at this point, now that I had an awareness around it, I was just allowing it. And I kept breathing and informing myself that I was safe. And this was all fixable. I also had this one thought that kept, I'm going to get in, I'm in trouble. I did, this is my fault, which I think that one for me, when you do this work, it's really fascinating to find out what are some of your like core thoughts causing you major distress. I thought for sure I was in trouble. I did something wrong. There was no fault. A few days later, when I saw the $8,000 that had been withdrawn from my account, I felt a momentum of anger and like this also this can do, like go get it, take me over. That reaction did not feel technically in my control. I was enraged when I went into the bank to, and to tell them like not just one bank teller, but four bank tellers had let someone use my ID, my canceled bank card to withdraw $2,000 at a time in less than two hours. Like, how does that happen? My thoughts were fueling my rage. But as I stood in front of the bank managers and we started working through the problem, made some reports, fixed what we could, by the time we were done, my breathing was steady. I was actually kind of joking and laughing about some of it. I was able to see also some of the upside in the moment, which is called positive reappraisal. You know, for example, well, At least now we have the thieves on camera, or a thief, one of them, and maybe we can prevent this from happening. Maybe now the police will take my report. In my past, especially when my teens were under my roof, and when I was dating and running a business and I had all of that stuff going on, it seemed to me that there was always something going wrong. There was always a fire to put out. Constant stress would just take me out. go into overwhelm, and I wanted to hide from the world, I would shut down. I'd smash an Xbox in the driveway. That's for real. I felt like all these things were always happening to me. I felt like a victim. And I, I was definitely acting like one too. And there's a difference in being the victim of something and then remaining the victim. And I was in a constant state of victim mode mentality. Why me? I can't do this anymore. No one else can understand me and my problems. They don't have them like this. I didn't have the tools or the awareness that everyone is under stress and experiencing their own set of stressors every day. Now, some people are able to process unforeseen circumstances in a way that makes it seem as if they aren't affected or that they don't have these things happening, but that is not true. They just don't let it consume them or make it mean anything about them. I'll admit, my brain got a little self-conscious about the past few weeks in my life being like this. I I said out loud, I was like, like this shit always happens to me am i manifesting this god is this my karma am i bringing all of this into myself i don't want people to think i sound like a victim so i should probably just not talk about it that's me shutting down and then also i won't manifest more maybe bad things won't happen if we don't talk about it or think about it and we just keep it to ourselves and then my conversations and lessons from wayne dyer and like the secret and joe dispenza started running through my mind I'm creating my destiny with my thinking. Don't think bad thoughts about your things being stolen. Don't think you're a victim. Just stay positive. And then I had to hit the brakes. I'm all about the woo energy and manifesting, but we can't just sit around thinking positive thoughts all day, especially about circumstances that warrant, you know, uncomfortable emotions. Our brains aren't wired for it. And frankly, stressors are real in life. There are going to be times where you are the victim. This last few weeks, I was the victim of my car being vandalized and my things being stolen. My identity is gone. That qualifies victim. For anyone to sit back and then judge themselves as responsible for these things happening is just not useful, right? And to pretend to sit and think I have to think good thoughts and I can't think negative because I fear will create more bad is A, lying to myself. I don't have positive thoughts about my wallet and ID being stolen. B, it's denying the human experience, which is going to be 50% good and 50% bad. And C, it's not humanly possible. We aren't wired to just think good thoughts all the time. We're actually wired to look for bad and judge. The good news is that if you're wired like me, you may feel like there's just no other way for you to process your stress than that way. But I'm here to tell you, there is a way. I'm living proof, I swear. (laughs) The last few weeks, and if I look back over the last few years, have been a very different approach for me with my mindset. Shit goes sideways, I repair, move on, rinse, repeat. Our minds have the ability to talk us out of what we are more than capable of managing and handling. Another lesson I've learned from the Navy SEALs is... When your mind is telling you you can't, that you should give up, this hurts, and even physically, your body actually still has 40% more to give. We limit ourselves with our thinking. When it comes to problem solving, we often have an idea, maybe two, and if one of those doesn't work, we just give up. We don't challenge our brain to come up with new solutions. We don't even realize that we aren't. We just think, well, that's that. I tried I see this all the time also with my clients in business I tried my idea it didn't work I don't know what else to do I don't know those three words are the demise of so many great ideas and your creative genius like facts people throw I don't know around and just put up a roadblock finding out to what they might know there's a rule with my clients they are not allowed to say I don't know And when it first comes up, I'm like, just tell me what you do know. Or what if you did know, what would you do? So when problem solving in moments of crisis, an approach to consider is this five-step solution. It starts with asking, is this a problem? Okay, so listen to me. Some things, you know, we can admit just aren't really that big. They're not really problems. They're inconveniences. Like my clients sometimes cancel. That's annoying. But it's not a big problem or a hair appointment gets canceled. We can easily get swept up in these problems, these cancellations, these inconveniences. And then we talk about how disruptive and disrespectful and how these problems quote unquote are always happening to us. And what we're really doing is just creating problems out of a problem that could be solved for fairly quickly. So by asking if it's a problem, you can gauge the seriousness. Ask yourself, do I wanna solve it? It may seem obvious, but it helps you get more clear. When my window being broken and my purse gone, that was a problem I wanted to solve. So why? Why did I want to solve it? Well, I don't want to drive my car around without a window exposing it to more theft, glass everywhere, and I don't want my identity and money stolen. Now, this is where we can use our brain to discover the options and evaluate different solutions. So here's what you do. You ask yourself, what is the easiest action I could take right now? Well, in my case, it was just drive home without a window and schedule a service to come over and during the weekend. What is the best solution? Have someone meet me at the park, another service, AAA, what have you, and put the window in now. What's a temporary solution? Tape. I thought tape was a solution. What's a long-term solution? Well, getting my car into the shop. In, in my, so that was my long-term. By asking these questions, I was able to get into my critical thinking brain to problem solve, get some perspective, and start discovering a variety of options. Now, there are going to be problems where you have to negotiate your solutions. When they said, we can't repair your glass today or even this weekend, what do you want to do in the meantime? Because it was Friday at 7 p.m. So I was like, okay, I got to clean up this glass, drive my car home. Uh, My dealership, they open up tomorrow and they confirmed that they will take my car in and give me a rental. I couldn't get it done that night. I still had to drive home with out the window and there was glass in the car. I was a little worried about the car being parked out front because people could get in, so I parked it in the back. I was negotiating what I really wanted, but it was still very workable in my mind because the next day the car would be going into my dealership. Then you wanna ask yourself, what is the cause of my problem? Well, mine was very easy. It was vandalism, out of control. Window and wallet gone, out of my control. But I could repair and control what happened from there to my best of my ability. But another cause of my problem, another cause of a lot of people's problems, was our thinking. My brain started offering all those worst case scenarios. Money, ID, do they know where I live? Are they going to come to my house? Are they going to search me up online? You see where this is going? I was creating unnecessary drama. But that's what brains do. So the final step in this process is asking, how can I prevent this from happening in the future? When we can understand what created it, we can usually prevent it. For me, in this case, I'm like, do I never go to the park again? Of course I go to the park. I don't leave a person in the car. And yeah, I don't leave a purse in the, wallet and the car is my solution. I've actually been parking at a friend's house in a neighborhood close to where I like to do my route. That feels safer. That brings me into fear setting, which is planning for these things ahead of time, which is also called planful problem solving. When my kids were teenagers, they would find themselves in these situations that they just did not know how to respond to, and how could they? Like, teens don't have experience or the maturity, right? So they also combined that with a fear of not wanting to get in trouble, a fear they still didn't really, they couldn't label or describe, they just felt. We had to set in place these systems so that we could work out and help prevent worst case scenarios. But if worst case happened, we plan on what they would do. For example, we would talk about being at a party and if someone was drunk and wanted to drive, if someone passed out, if you saw someone taking pictures of someone, if someone tries to get you to do something, et cetera, we would list out all of the worst case scenarios and then what they could do to prevent it from happening. We had a family word, for example, that if they texted me this word, it meant I was to call them and say, hey, something has come up and I have to come and get you or you need to get home right now. And that would help them get out of a situation where perhaps peer pressure was involved or they felt that a parent needed to be inserted. They were able to do that, but there wouldn't be any responsibility on them or account like the people around when think like, oh, you called home, right? So that was... An amazing I, I recommend that to all of you parents out there have a code word where your kids can text you and you just call but if worse came to worse what would they do for example if they were scared to text me the word and have me find out well I made sure they had numbers and they still do have numbers of trusted adults in our lives that they can reach out to at any time these people will drop everything and if it's decided my kids and this adult, they can choose to never tell me. This has helped their brain and mine develop strategies ahead of time so we didn't have to come up with anything in the moment of the stress. We would also talk about like on a scale of one to 10, how much impact would the worst case have, one being minimal, 10 being substantial? Did our plan work foolproof 100% of the time? Well, I'll refer to Inkerman and say it was more like 60% of the time it worked every time. But damn, if it didn't prepare our brains to think differently and problem solve. And a lot of the things that I, like I said, never even happened to my kids. When they approach a problem, I encourage them to ask, what would be the safe action to take? And then they are prompted to ask, what would be safer than that? And then the final prompt is, what would be the safest? You can take that further by, what would this cost me emotionally, mentally, and or financially? If I take this action or if I don't. To this day, my kids and I still, I'm like, be safe tonight. And they're like, safest mom. Like it is instilled in their mindset as a practice and a way of thinking. Lastly, I want to offer that you start practicing de-stressing each day. These things that are happening in our lives all day long around us, like some of it we're registering, some of it we're not. But our body chemically is So from the book I referred to from the Nagoski twins earlier, Burnout, I'm just going to sort of give you a summary of some notes that I've taken about stress versus stressors. Okay, so stressors activate stress in the body. Circumstances, anything you see, hear, touch, taste, think about or imagine can cause you harm discrimination, work time, cultural norms, so on, internal stressors like body image, self-criticism, memories, future tripping, interpreted as potential threats. Stress is a neurological and physiological shift that happens in the body when you encounter one of these threats. It's the response to help. It's the evolutionary adaptive response to help us cope, like being chased by a lion. It activates generic response hormones And chemicals, and they cascade to get you going. Senses heighten. Attention alerts. Short-term here and now thinking. Your memory shifts. The most immediate and relevant information to the stressor? Prioritized. Everything else gets deprioritized. Your digestion slows down. Immune function shifts. Tissue repair, etc. Entire body and mind change in response. The lion comes and you are flooded with a stress response. So you run. Your body is ready to escape. Anything not relevant to that task, your body and mind puts on the back burner. So there's two possible outcomes. Get trampled by a lion or you escape and you run. Now in cave days, when it was you being chased by an animal because obviously you're out hunting and you get away, your community comes out. They come to help you, you slaughter, and you're all grateful to be alive, and you're safe in your body. Your community cooks the lion, and you celebrate, you give thanks. Stress response cycle complete. In modern days, we are not dealing with being chased by a lion, but our brain interprets stressors all the same. We're not being taught how to deal with the stress, though, that's being created. So just because we've dealt with the stressor, had the conversation with the boss, or talked to the person who ghosted us... Uh, stop yelling at the kids and now they know the rules again it doesn't mean you've dealt with the stress that you experienced in that moment so we think if we fix the cause of the stress the circumstances that will be okay and we've completed the cycle not true again remember I'm I am summarizing everything that they're saying in this book Your body is still in full action mode and chemical response. We want to complete it. We want to go all the way through the tunnel. We need to do something that signals to your body that you are safe or you'll stay in that hormonal chemical degrading your system and not signaling signaling that you are safe. You're soaked in these stress juices. So signal to your body, it needs a cue. Otherwise, day after day, this adds up. Chronic stress, stress response in your blood vessels that design, it causes wear and tear. Chronic stress leads to life-threatening illness. This happens in every organ in our body. It's not built to live there. Stress is not, and these chemicals, we don't want it in there. If it gets stuck, it will slowly kill us. Stress will kill you faster than the stressor. You are managing the stressors, and your body is managing the stress. Imperative to give your body the resources it needs to de-stress. Imagine the difference between a gently flowing stream versus a fire hose. So, the ways that we can manage the stress in the body is number one, breathe. You have to consciously breathe and be very mindful about what you are breathing in and when you're breathing in and out, like what you are releasing in these deep belly breaths. I love a four by four by four by four. Is that 16 breaths? You inhale four times, hold for four, release at four, hold for four, repeat four times. Call on your community. We're tribal beings. When I talked about earlier, when that lion was out to get you and the community came out and they helped you get that lion and then you cook it together and you celebrate together the safety that you made it and that you have support. Hugs and touch. Human contact is so essential. Crying is an amazing way to release what's been happening to you. Move your body and the energy in it. For 10 minutes, you wanna shake all of this out. Imagine when an animal has been attacked in the wild. It plays dead, it freezes, right? So then the prey leaves and you'll watch and it starts to slowly twitch and then it's kicking and twitching and then it's just shaking that all out. That's exactly what you need to do. Laugh. I feel like laughing as soon as we can get there is the number one for me. If you can just giggle it all out, it's the best move and then creativity expressing through creativity believe it or not this is another great de-stressor for you so i just want you to remember we have to teach our brains how to think about these stressors and how to manage our minds and stay in the present not ruminate in future trip not be in the habit of thinking worst case because we have had proof that things have gone bad before. We wanna look for and develop the skill of positive reappraisal. What are all the good things that are happening? What is the upside moving forward? Develop the habit of trying to see all the sides of your situation because your brain will default to its baseline. So with these practices of the problem solving and the fear setting, you can, while you're not in the stress, start reflecting on how you've handled it in the past And then look for ways that you can rewrite what you would do next time. And then replay it in your brain. Your brain doesn't know the difference between what's real and what's imagined. How would you manage that now under perfect conditions? How will you celebrate that? This is what I want for you, my little baby seals. I want you to join me in this so that we can all each manage our lives through stressful circumstances when we're under pressure in the best way for us. Okay, until next week, take care. If you enjoyed today's show and don't want to miss another episode, you can subscribe to my newsletter in mother words on Substack. You will also receive a weekly written column from me. You can find the link in your show notes, or you can follow me on any of your favorite listening platforms like Apple or Spotify. And if you haven't already leave your feedback, I would love to know what you're thinking so that I can improve for you. Leave me a message, put up a review and feel free to spread the mother loving word.